Welcome to the Dining for One Health and Wellness Show, where we inspire and encourage you to embrace a life of health and wellness and to learn how to exploit the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle. Our guest is a naturopath, an internationally recognized expert on nutrition, medicine, health, and the executive director of the Wellness Forum. Dr. Popper serves on the Physician's Steering Committee and the President's Board for the Physician's Committee and Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C. Dr. Popper is one of the healthcare professionals involved in the famed Sacramento Food Bank Project, in which economically disadvantaged people were shown how to reverse their diseases and eliminate medications with diet. Dr. Popper, excuse me, with diet, Dr. Popper is part of Dr. T. Colin Campbell's teaching team at eCornell, teaching part of a certification course on plant-based nutrition. Dr. Popper is also a lobbyist and public policy expert and continually works toward changing laws that interfere with patients' right to choose their health provider and method of care. So she's probably really busy this time as well. She has testified in front of uh, legislative committees on numerous occasions and has testified twice in front of the USDA's Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. Welcome to the show, Dr. Popper. We are happy to have you on. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. So what have you been up to lately? I know you've been you're on the President's Commission, or was. Uh, you do the, the patient's rights to choose. Are you still active on this right now, or are you just taking a little break from this? Uh, no, I never take a break from anything, I guess. Um, still active in, in uh, working on legislation. Um, and But I guess I spend most of my time uh, on education-related issues uh, through my company, The Wellness Forum. So our, uh, our goal there is to help patients to, first of all, improve their diet, adopt a health-promoting diet to improve their health, and then to become informed medical consumers, which is just as important. Um, you know, just as there are so many myths about diet, there are also quite a few about the right things to do when you visit a doctor. Which tests should you have? Should you take supplements? Which drugs are okay to treat certain conditions, etc.? So we have a very, very busy business at the Wellness Forum, and um, one thing that we're very excited about, and we invest a lot in this as well, is we have our own school now, the Wellness Forum Institute for Health Studies, where we train health professionals about the importance of diet and lifestyle intervention and um, and better uh, approaches to health care than traditional care. So um, between those things, I stay really busy. And, of course, I have a new book out called Food Over Medicine. Actually, it came out last year, but sales continue to be really, really good. I do a lot of interviews and lectures based on that book, and I even have a certification course based on the book now. So um, all of that leads up to a very busy but very exciting life. I love, you can probably tell, I love what I do, so it doesn't really seem like work to me. It's just, um, it's fun. Your enthusiasm shows through a lot of the videos that I've seen on your website on the information and how you go about training. You you truly do want to help people, which is something that that is really good to feel when you're trying to find some information to help yourself that somebody out there is uh, generally giving you information to, to make you your life a lot better. Exactly, and, and really the people ask me all the time, you know, you guys have become so successful. And when I say you guys, I mean, it's my, me and my group at the Wellness Forum. I work with some amazing people, and I could never have done this by myself. But, you know, how is it that you have been able to do this? And, and uh, so what, what's so unique? I said, well, I don't know. We just tell the truth about stuff, and I never really dreamed 
almost 20 years ago that telling the truth could be such a big business, but apparently it's a rare thing in health and diet and medicine. So, so I think that's one of the reasons why we've become as big as we've become is people really know that we're a trusted source. You know, we don't have any conflicts of interest in terms of taking money from food manufacturers or anything like that. So there's no real incentive to favor one thing over another. It's just to say, okay, where, where does the truth take us? And we'll tell you that, and then you can make your decisions. So, um, yeah, I think I think people like to have the idea of a trusted advisor that uh, that can help them make very important decisions. It's good. I think it's good to know we're out there. Well, now that being said, before we go into the detail of things, let's go big picture for a minute. Uh, can you take some time to share with us what you consider, uh, with your experience, to be the ideal diet for the just the average person? Nothing specific, just the average person. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to start. Um, there, there might be some refinements for people who are critically ill with certain types of diseases, but basically the diet that human beings are designed to live on, and we have a lot of evidence for this, which we can talk about, is principally plant-based meaning the four major food groups that we eat from are fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. It, uh, it can include some animal foods. Um, most uh, of all healthy populations on the planet eat some animal foods, but we like to minimize that to two or three servings a week at the outside and the rest of the time eat plant-based fare. No dairy. Um, low in fat, which one way to accomplish that is to get oils out of the diet. There's pure liquid fats. You get rid of the oils, low in fat, high in fiber, uh, plenty of good, clean drinking water every day. And um, it just, uh, you know, people listen to that and say, well, my gosh, it sounds a little austere. And it isn't if you know how to prepare the food right and you know how to teach people to do that. But the other thing that I add to that is just understanding the difference between food and a treat. So I don't deny that birthdays are a good time for cake and Christmas is a good time for cookies, and Valentine's Day is a good time for chocolate. But, you know, on a normal day when nothing special is happening, you just eat your healthy plant-based foods because food gives us energy and promotes health and all that sort of thing, and then you save those treats for special occasions. And people who follow that dietary plan, they're shown how to do it, uh, find that, first of all, it's easy to do, it's inexpensive, and um, their health issues resolve, or if they're already healthy, they stay healthy. And um, and that they can still enjoy things that they'd like to enjoy for treats and that sort of thing. They don't really miss the stuff once they they learn how to do it right. And um, it's the path to health. So that's the diet that we teach to the average person who um, doesn't have uh, serious illness. Okay, so let's go to the other side of this. And what do you consider optimum health to be? Uh, how can people measure or identify what? their optimum health would be, of course, on a, just generally speaking, or is that even possible without professional help? No, I think uh, I think it's easy to achieve optimal health. Um, it's easier to maintain it than it is to get it back once you've become sick, although that's possible too, and I think that's pretty exciting stuff to talk about. But optimal health, in my opinion, is that, uh, first of all, normal weight and healthy body composition, you know, lean, muscular people. And, um, of course, we don't see a lot of that in this culture. Uh, but you're lean, you're muscular, um, your biomarkers are optimal, low cholesterol, um, you know, low triglycerides, you know, blood pressure, normal, that sort of thing. Um, not suffering from symptoms and, and requiring constant interaction with doctors to, to treat symptoms. Uh, energy 
and and clear thinking, ability to do the things that you want to do. We live in a society of really tired people. I mean, I people half my age can barely get through the day. You know, so when you when you're optimally healthy, you have the participate, you have the ability to fully participate in life, which I think is important. And uh, and that's what optimal health is all about. And you get to live until you die, which is not what we do in this culture. We we live until we reach our you know forties, fifties, and then we start this gradual decline that eventually results in disability and dependence and that sort of thing. But optimally healthy means that um, you live until you just die. Right? And the best example of that, I read an article about a physician who uh, practiced medicine until he was a hundred years old uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he continued to make house calls until the last day of his practice, and then he retired and he went home and he died a few days later. That's the way I want to go. That's my plan. So that's optimally healthy in my mind. And how would someone benefit from taking your recommendation of an ideal uh, diet? Has this been considered a, a catastrophic change to some people you recommended this to? Well, I think that people talk about this being extreme, and it probably appears that way based on the way people have been taught to eat in our culture. I, I don't even know that we teach people to eat. It sort of happens by default and influence and, you know, inferred you know, advice. Like the way you eat in school is terrible, but school is a place where you're supposed to be learning the right things, so the inference is that this is okay. So um, I think it seems extreme based on those people's perception of diet. But if you put evidence in front of them, first they can understand that this is really the way that humans were designed to eat. And I also tell people, think about the alternatives. You know, I love Dr. Esselstyn's line in Four Foot When Eyes when he says, now, you know, when people have serious heart disease, we rip open their chest and we take veins from their leg and graft it onto the heart. He goes, now, some people might think that's extreme. You know, so I think it's, it's all in how you analyze it compared to what. So, um, but I think if, if people start to understand uh, that this isn't just um, do what I say because I seem like I'm the health authority, but let me show you why I say it, and they start to understand the reasons, they're much more willing to try it. And if they taste the food well prepared, their mind opens up a whole lot. I, I have had many carnivores come to our center and attend one of our dinners and and I think they come in thinking I live on, you know, pine cones and tree bark or something, and they eat this food and go, gosh, this is great. You know, my husband would eat this. My kids would eat this. And their mind opens up. So I think we start from the place of thinking that it's, that it's extreme, but we can very quickly move the conversation to a place where it seems attainable and like a really good idea. I think one of the most important things that you just commented on right now is the preparation of the food. And I think a lot of people do not know exactly how to to make food that you're you're recommending. All they see is basically rabbit food. They see a salad. That's that's the only thing that they have in their mind. But if they learned how to really prepare the food, get back in the kitchen, start with the basics, and just let your imagination run wild. All the ingredients are there. You have a lot to choose from. It's not like you have two or three grains and then uh, a leaf-based product. But there are a lot of things between the spices uh, and the herbs and everything else. So I, I do agree with you that in the kitchen is really where it needs to start. 
Well, and I think the key is uh, you, you made a comment that I think is is important. Um, you know, just start with the ingredients and let your imagination run wild, and that's where we want to end, have them end up. But in the beginning, um, and I'll just back up by saying somebody asked me one time many years ago, "What's the hardest thing that you have to do to get people to do this?" And and I thought about it for a minute. And it, it really isn't explaining the science. I know how to do that. And then people think, okay, that sounds credible. It's, it's that people in our society don't live the way I did. And I'm showing my age here as a kid. You know, my mom would make a grocery list and go to the store and buy groceries. And then we'd have, she'd figure out in advance what we we're going to have for lunch and dinner. And then we would make those things. And that's what you had for dinner. And so it's, and, and my parents weren't wealthy when I was a little kid. And so, you know, we didn't eat out all the time. That wasn't part of the culture either. So my point is that the first thing we have to do is get people to the place where they understand that uh, shopping and list making and preparing to make meals is not intimidating. We'll show you how to do it. And then the second thing is because these people really don't know how to cook, like my grandmother was such an amazing scratch cook, you know, she could just take six ingredients and the next thing would be this fabulous casserole. People don't know how to do that. So the good news is there are so many wonderful cookbooks and websites now that there are literally, there must be a million recipes out there. I mean, our chef and my, one of my business partners, Del Shroff, wrote Better Than Vegan and the Fork Server Knives Cookbook. And between those two, there's 400 recipes. They're all fabulous. I tasted them all when he was writing the book. And so that's a great track to run on. And then once people start doing that and you know, make, make some of these recipes, then they get creative and they start doing that, let your imagination run wild in the kitchen and coming up with their own stuff. And they find that it really is not only not intimidating to go into the kitchen, it's fun. And then, you know, then they're lifers for this plan. That's what we want them to do. Since the development of the, the Internet, things have been so easily uh, available to us. And now that we have smartphones and apps, uh, we have uh, one of the apps called Epicurious where it just tons of recipes right there. So it just becomes easier and easier uh, to gain access to all the information that you said, especially for the cooking there. So what would right. be the best way to transition from a conventional-style diet to a plant-based diet? I think there's, there's a lot of discussion about this and varying opinions. I favor just doing it. And the reason is that, um, I give, well, several reasons, actually. I think the first thing is that when people make little tiny changes, they don't really notice any difference in their health or their weight or anything else. And while it's fun to talk about preventing disease and, and remaining healthy, the reality is that two-thirds of the people in the United States are sick and or overweight. Something's wrong with them. And so when they show up at our place, they want to fix those problems. And so in order to do that, they need to make, you know, this big change. Let's just do this thing. Because if you want to lose weight or you want to get your cholesterol down or you want to stop your arthritis symptoms or whatever it is that's caused you to come and visit with us, um, you're not going to get that done. You're not going to see any progress doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So if we want the results, let's just go for it and do the whole thing. And along with that, one of the things that happens is we get the bad food out of the house, out of any environment in which people spend time. And the reason for that is twofold. First of all, to keep them from playing willpower games with themselves in the kitchen. I always, I always say I know pretty much about this topic. I'm considered an expert, but, boy, if I'm standing in my kitchen at 11 o'clock at night and I can have bananas and grapes or 
um, you know, cherries and strawberries or cookies and ice cream. I mean, sooner or later, that stuff starts to win out. Just get, you get rid of it, you know. So you clean out the house, you clean out the office, you start on this plan and you eat this way and you just do it. And then what happens, and this is where it gets really exciting because some people say that it's hard to get people to stick with this diet, but they start losing the weight, they start feeling better, their skin clears up, they're sleeping better at night, the arthritic pains go away or whatever the complaint was when they showed up, and they become amazingly compliant because the results motivate them to. So, you know, there's some people who say, well, you know, the incremental thing is better and people don't feel so overwhelmed, and, and there may be some people who that works better for, but I've just always advocated for let's jump in with both feet and just do this thing. For those of us who constantly eat out like myself, uh, what are some of the tips to keep in mind when dining out? Well, the world has become a really friendly place for people who eat like we do. Uh, when I started this almost 20 years ago, uh, I remember going into restaurants and and I would say, I'm vegetarian. They'd say, oh, you're a veterinarian? I'd say, no, 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 I'm vegetarian. And they'd look at you like you had just flown in from another planet. And it's really not that way anymore. Um, even the fast food restaurants have options that are available to us. I mean, Wendy's has baked potatoes, and Taco Bell has burritos that you can leave out the cheese. And this isn't gourmet food, but, my gosh, if you're driving down the highway and you're hungry and you need to do something quick, those options are available, which is wonderful. In um, sit-down restaurants where they prepare the food to order, I think the first thing is that most of the time these days, the menus do have options for people like us. And every place that I go, if they don't, they'll prepare something. Or I'll make something up. Um, you know, look at the side dishes. They're, they're filled, the side dish column is filled with stuff we can eat. Steamed broccoli and baked potatoes. And, uh, you know, of course you can have salads and just leave the bad stuff off. So, um, I think it's pretty easy to eat out, um, and to go almost anywhere. And I, I always tell people this. If this eating plan is interfering with your social life and that sort of thing, then then we have to have a discussion so that you can do it right. Because I can tell you from my experience, I never turned down an invitation to go any place with my friends over eating because I can always find something to eat and um, this should not stand in the way of all the fun things that I want to do that um, are not about eating. They're about being in a book club or going to somebody's birthday or whatever. So it's uh, it's gotten pretty easy to do this, actually, and that's, that's made it cool. That is one of the biggest challenges, as you said, is uh, especially a lot of people who are in sales, high-pressure sales or in real estate or in any type of industry that does that, the main goal is to meet as many people as possible. And the only time you can really meet them is either over coffee or over lunch, over dinner. And if you're trying to, to lose the weight, to, to gain help, get healthy, it just makes it a lot harder to to fall into something that way. So, yes, it has no, it become... It does not have to be harder. I think a lot of it, and I'll tell you this, I'm not a psychologist, so I have to be careful I don't go too far off the reservation here, but I'll tell you what my observation is. I think the first thing is that people have to decide they're going to do this. There's a decision thing. And everybody's a little bit different. I, my personality is such that if I just decide I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. We're not going to revisit this every five minutes and, 
you know. And and the second thing is that so so you decide you're going to do it, and then the next meal that you eat, then you eat out. It doesn't really matter who else is there. You're not eating for that person anyway. And I tell people all the time. I think you think that people are far more interested in what you're eating than they really are. They actually do not care. <laughs> so, and the reason somebody is going to buy something from you or vote for your bill or whatever isn't because you ate pork chops instead of potatoes. It's because you were able to make your case. I think the second thing that goes on, and this happens more in a social situation, is that um, people don't tell the folks that they're, they're that are close to them, their friends, their family, that they're um, changing their diet and why it's important to them. And uh, they, a couple things happen as a result of not actually having that conversation. Uh, the first thing is that it allows people to cheat because nobody knows the difference. All right. So if I walk into a restaurant with it, I mean who I am now and how many people know me, and I ordered cheese pizza, you know, everybody would pay attention to that. I can't really do that. I don't want to do that, but the point is that I can't do that. It would People would talk about it. I mean, my friends would talk about it. Pam, what are you doing, you know? Um, so it allows people to cheat without any consequences. And the second thing is that they don't turn their friends into helpers. You know, so I'll never forget, this is a great story about a guy that uh, came to the wellness forum and he had serious health issues. This guy's cholesterol was off the charts and he's overweight. Young guy, too, with young kids. And so um, we were talking one day. I said, how's it going? He goes, it goes, it goes great every day, every day but Thursday. I said, well, what happens on Thursday? He goes, well, yeah, I've got to be honest with you. I play basketball with these guys and... So after we play basketball, we go out to eat, and, um, you know, I know there's some healthy stuff on the menu, but they order, you know, chicken wings and all that kind of stuff, and I just end up eating it. And I said, well, have you told these guys what you're doing? I said, no. I said, well, let's kind of role play here. Why don't you tell your friends, look, you know, you guys know I have some health issues. They're serious. i got to do something about them. I'm little kids. So I want to live, you know, the whole nine yards. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to, I need you to do two things. And the first one is don't encourage me to eat stuff I shouldn't eat. And the second thing is if you see me starting to eat something that I'm not supposed to eat, hold me accountable because I need that. And um, I said, do you think you can do that? And he said, I, I can do that. So problem solved. He was so excited. Like a few weeks later, he said, you know, my buddies really are helpful. And he goes, knowing that if I pick up one of those stupid chicken wings, they're going to say something. I just don't do it. You know, so um, I think that there are ways to deal with this, starting with just making a decision and then letting other people in on it and sharing your reasons for it uh, so that they can be helpful to you that make this easier. So what you're basically doing is you're creating enablers, but on the positive side of things, that are making sure mm-hmm. that, the, that you stay with your diet, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think you brought up many points in uh, what you said, and with with that thought, what would you consider, in your opinion, to be the worst diets someone can partake in? Let's go to the other side of the scale real quick. Well, I think um, I think the things that people do that are the most destructive um, are, and it's more of an issue of pattern. Like we have a tendency in, in um, health and diet to look for dietary villains and dietary heroes. Like what's the food I can eat to accomplish this objective or what's the one that I was just going to do one thing what would you tell me to do well the the first thing is I, I always tell people when we're looking at this diet thing you need to think about it like a combination lock and here's what I mean by that let's picture a wall safe and in the safe is ten thousand dollars and we have a combination lock on the front of the safe and it takes four numbers to open the combination lock and you dial up three okay so here's the deal you do not get 75 percent of the results 
um, you do not get $7,500. You have to get that fourth number or you do not get all of the money, right? You either get $10,000 or you don't get anything. So the point is that when we're looking at a diet, um, we have to either get it right or we don't get it right. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a cookie or a piece of cake, and it doesn't mean you have to be vegan. I covered that earlier. This is not dietary perfection, but it is engaging in eating a healthy diet on a regular basis, you know, and, and saving treats for special occasions. So having said that, the things that people do, um, that I think lead to a bad dietary pattern is, first of all, most of what they eat is not food. That's a major problem. They're eating garbage from a box and highly processed stuff, and um, and so they're tired and overweight and they have health issues, and okay, that's pretty much expected. You're not feeding your body at all. Uh, the second thing is they eat high-calorie, really high-calorie food, and then they don't understand how come they can't lose weight. They think it's all about portion control. And it's not. If people saw the amount of food I eat, it's kind of scary for a woman my size. But if you look at the calorie content of the types of foods, you can eat a lot of rice and broccoli and potatoes and salads and strawberries and bananas and stuff like that without uh, without having a weight problem. So I think the calorie density of food is amazing. The fat content of the food. And people have this myth in their head that, um, you know, as long as I'm eating good fats, so I'm eating cashews and oils and all this kind of stuff, well, I'll say there is there is no good fat when it's more than 15% of calories. So I think that's a dangerous thing. And, um, and I think, uh, last but not least, just living constantly in the land of temptation, thinking that willpower is going to help them when it just clearly cannot. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have two pieces of cheese and I'm gonna um, have the ice cream in the freezer and I won't eat it. I'll I'll save it for a special occasion. And willpower is completely useless in doing this. We in fact we really spend some time on that. You have to set up your environment to be successful. So the net result of all of this is that people eat a lot of fat and a lot of calories and um, the the wrong foods every day, all day and uh, they throw in a vegetable here or a fruit there and think that they're doing better for themselves, but they got to get the whole thing right. That's the frustration we have in this country, people playing around with a little bit of dietary change here and there and then not feeling better and thinking diet doesn't work. So that's a long answer to your question, but that's what I think about it. I think that was a, a good answer to the question. So let's, let's just draw up a baseline here. Uh, in the context of our conversation today, can you explain in mm-hmm. your opinion what the difference between uh, the buzzwords of what we call conventional foods and organic foods? Well, yeah, and there there are two categories. We'll divide it into categories. I think it is crucial um, that uh, for, if you're going to continue to consume animal foods, that you have to consume organic animal foods and wild-caught fish. And there are a multitude of reasons, but the, the top ones are that, first of all, the antibiotic steroids and hormones in those conventionally grown animal foods is is just there. It's a health risk. I mean, the number the number one cause of antibiotic resistant bacterial infections, which everybody agrees on this now, the government doesn't even try to disagree, is the antibiotics in farm animals. So you just can't afford to take that risk. The second thing is that um, we're we're talking about a form of agriculture in producing these animals that is completely unsustainable and um, uh, destroys the environment, um, you know, we're, we're doing, it's, it's just horrible. And the third thing is the cruelty to these animals that live in these types of facilities. And I always tell people, be conscious, be a conscious consumer, vote with your checkbook. You know, you, every time you eat 
a conventionally grown pork chop, you're saying it's okay to beat kids with crowbars and have them stand up for their entire life, their babies taken on. I don't want to go into the whole thing, but you get my point. So it's crucial that you eat organic animal food for those reasons if you're going to continue to include it in your diet. On the plant-based side, not quite so important. Um, and, uh, and so here's my stance on this. The first thing is I think that we support a better form of agriculture when we buy organic foods, but we have to mitigate that with the idea that, first of all, organic foods are not always readily available and not everybody can afford them. So buy organic food to the extent that you can afford it. I'm crystal clear on this. The risks associated with consuming some chemicals in non-organic plant foods are far outweighed by the benefits of consuming those foods, and even very aggressive organizations that are trying to reform farming practices in the United States um, agree on that point. So uh, I think that people think that they have to consume organic produce, and they don't. And this is an important point because um, if people think they can't afford to eat this way, then we, we actually lose this battle big time. So one last thing I'll say about it is you know, people will come back and say, but what about the chemicals? Well, as it turns out, uh, chemicals are important. I mean, I'm concerned about them, but they are not the primary cause of our epidemic of disease in this country. And when you look at the incredible results that researchers like Dr. McDougall and Dr. Esselstyn have achieved, none of those diets required the consumption of organic produce at all. So uh, if you can afford it, great. If it's available, great. If it's not, don't let that stop you from eating with the right foods. So in addition to eating, uh, how much water should we should someone consume? And does it make a difference if you live in the cold climates versus hot climates for consuming uh, a certain amount of water? Uh, not really. Um, I'll say answer to your last question. And there's some controversy about this or difference of opinion. My recommendation is 64 ounces of water a day. And the basis for that is that um, the average human will lose 10 cups of water a day. And uh, that happens in urine and feces, and it happens through sweating and talking. I mean, just you, what you and I are doing right now expels water. Evidence for that when you go out in the cold and you see the, um, you see the, the, the uh, mist when you're speaking outside. That's your breath. So um, 64 ounces a day, you're going to get about two cups of water easily from the foods that you eat and then the rest has to come from someplace. Now, obviously, if you ate watermelon all day, you probably would take in a lot more than two cups of water. But the, the average person consuming a well-structured plant-based diet will take in some water in food, but the rest of it has to come from somewhere else. And then, of course, on a warm day, um, you know, where you, you're really sweating, working in the yard, that sort of thing, um, you sweat more, you have to consume more. But the, the average person would do well to consume eight glasses of water a day, 64 ounces. And with all the types and styles of waters one can find at the store, uh, without picking any brand, specific brand there is, is there a type of water that you should focus on? Uh, should I get a regular spring water or mineral processed water or water processed with a high pH level? Well, the first thing is I tell people, make it keep it simple and inexpensive. Get a carbon filter for your house. Um, the cost of the water per gallon is ridiculously cheap, and uh, even the whole house units now are cheap. So you bathe in filtered water, and, and you brush your teeth in filtered water, etc. So that's the best option, and, and the reason carbon is a good filtration method is it takes the chemicals out of the water and it leaves the minerals in. So if you're going to go to the store and buy water, or you're in the airport or whatever, look for water that has minerals in it. Um, I won't mention brands on this show, but... Uh, 
um, I'm not talking about the nutrition facts label. I'm talking about the little paragraph that says how much calcium, how much silica. Um, and there are two or three well-known nationally brands, uh, well-known national brands that um, that have this on the label. Stay away from the super pH water. Uh, and the reason I say that is that um, we have a mentality in nutrition that if a little bit of something is a good idea, massive amounts of it must be better. And that's proven not to be the case when we look at dietary supplements. So um, you don't need some super alkalized uh, water. You just need to um, you just need water that is in its original state with minerals without chemicals. That's that's really what you're looking for. And do you have a specific brand that you, you would recommend? Well, the, the two most readily available, and they're everywhere now, is, are Fiji and Evian. And um, and if you look at a Fiji or Evian label, you may find some other brands, and they're out there. But but you know, you'll see what I'm talking about—the little mineral breakdown that that you're looking for. And then you'll know what to look for on other labels if you choose to seek out other brands. So, what are the what are the typical minerals you should find in in waters from what you've seen? Um, well, they're all they're all mineral rich, you know, and I think that's a, uh, that's one of the myths of of, um, of diet. We try to quantify everything, but if you look at a at a bottle of uh, Fiji or Evian, you're going to see things like calcium, magnesium, um, uh, silica, uh, and there are plenty more. They don't list them all. You can't list all the nutrients in anything. There's thousands of them, but uh, those would be some of the ones that would be listed. All right, let's go ahead and move to the, the beginning of our day because once we wake up, some of us are happy, some of us are not, and the majority of people, I'm sure, are not really that happy to, to start their day. So how would you recommend someone really start their day off and start their, their day off with breakfast for those who actually have breakfast? Well, first of all, everybody has to actually have breakfast. We start by feeding our body. After, um, and people say, well, I'm not hungry. I tell them, well, yeah, you're probably not thirsty and you're dehydrated and you probably want chocolate instead of something good to eat. But we have to stop thinking about what you think you want and start thinking about what you need to do if you really want to be healthy. All right. So, um, we're all going to have breakfast. Everybody's taught to eat breakfast when they come to my place. And just think about it. You haven't had anything to eat since you went to bed last night, maybe earlier. So your system is completely empty. So you cannot expect to have an energetic, positive day when your system is completely empty and there's no fuel. Your body will have to break down stored glycogen in order to supply energy. Stressful for the body. I mean, it's one thing to do that to finish a marathon once in a while, but this isn't supposed to be what we do every day. So um, lots of options for breakfast. The first thing I tell people is we have some strange ideas in this country about when we're supposed to eat which food. Like people think that fruits for breakfast and cereals for breakfast and broccoli for lunch, but you can have anything you want for breakfast. If stir-fry is what you want, go on ahead and have it. If you like beans and rice, that's fine, too. Um, traditional breakfast foods that are great are oatmeal, always good, um, smoothies, uh, toast with fat-free hummus, um, multigrain cereals with some type of plant milk and a banana. Um, so those would be some easy things to do. Big fruit salad with, um, you know, with some uh, toast would be fine. The key is to eat enough calories. A lot of people think it's all about fruits and vegetables. They're not calorie dense enough. So, you know, eating a pound of fruit for breakfast is great, but you're going to have to have something else to go with it. So the way I start my day is I, I make this superfood smoothie that I do every day, and I have two pieces of toasted Ezekiel bread with fat-free hummus, and then I can, you know, be the energizer bunny for three or four more hours before it's time for more food. 
What are your thoughts on uh, on almond milk? I'm starting to see a lot of that show up on shelves. Yeah, they're all fine. Um, which plant milk you choose depends upon, you know, what you happen to like. I think it's really important if you have children to make be careful about your choices. For example, um, you know, put, put some brown soy milk on your kids' Cheerios in the morning and the plant-based eating in your house is going to be done for a while. I mean, it's just not a smart move. You're better off with something that is a little sweeter, looks a little bit more like what the kids used to. So you have to be a little bit careful when you're dealing with children just so that you get them to buy in. But, you know, whatever you like and switch them up. You know, that's the other thing, too, is I think people get into dietary ruts, and I can do it, too where you just eat the same thing all the time and, you know, try to change it up once in a while. That's good to do. Okay, let's change the focus a bit and talk about cleansing and detoxifying because that's one of the big things that you'll see in these health food stores or on, on commercials is to be able to detoxify yourself from the metals and all of the chemicals. And the, so these buzzwords that you, you hear constantly, can you explain a little bit on what cleaning and detoxifying really entail? Yeah, there's a lot of mythology around that. What you, what you really want to do, people keep thinking there's so much mythology about this. They think that they can clean out one organ at a time, and that's myth. Um, and they also think that detoxification is like some special event that we schedule for a week or a weekend, and that's not the way it works. The way that the, bo- the body is perfectly capable of detoxifying itself, so it's at the cellular level and on a bigger scale too. If you just eat a high-fiber, high-water, low-fat, plant-based diet, um, every day. It, 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 I tell people it's like cleaning your house, okay? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best housekeeper in the world, but I try every day to do things to keep the house clean. So I'm cleaning the kitchen today, and then tomorrow we do the bathrooms, and, you know, vacuum the floors. And, and so the idea is if we clean all the time, the house always looks pretty good, right? Um, but if we don't clean but once a year, oh, my gosh, I, you have to have a crew come in, and then it might not look right. So just use that analogy and it carries over to diet. Eat the right diet every day. Your body cleans itself out just fine. No other special things needed. The exception to the rule would be people who have serious, serious illness. And for those people, uh, things like water-only fasting is a good idea. And there's a great place in California I send people called True North Health. And it's medically supervised water-only fasting. And so for people who have persistent blood pressure problems, who will not respond to this dietary change in weight loss, uh, people who have life-threatening diseases like cancer, uh, this type of thing can be helpful. And people who actually do have poisoning. I have a friend who had dioxin poisoning from cancer research and uh, was gradually losing his ability to talk and went out to True North and fasted. And so there, there are some situations that warrant that type of a thing, but the rest of us can detoxify every day by just eating well. So let's talk about exercise for a minute, and I think that's the uh, one of the big points in, in eating and drinking. Because you can't talk about diet without talking about the activity itself, what would you consider to be a proper exercise routine? What would this consist of, and how often do you recommend? Well, and uh, I'm going to start by saying exercise is crucial for health. You can sit on the couch and eat a perfect diet, and you're not going to be a healthy person if you don't get your body up and move, because human beings were designed for movement. So, uh, and it's the hardest thing we get people to do. People don't like exercise, and, you know, they will if they get used to it. In fact, I just got an email from a friend this morning who took up running. 
and uh, I'll get back to your question in a second, but but she said, I used to hate running, and I used to look at you run, and I couldn't understand how anybody could possibly like that. And then I just decided I was going to start running because I, you know, want to see what all the stuff is about. I got the right shoes and I started running. And now I'm running like 35 miles a week and it's addictive. She's telling me in this email, I can't wait to get out and run. So my point is most people don't like the stuff when they start, but they grow to like it. So what, with that in mind, is the perfect exercise plan? Well, you're going to do it five or six days a week. That's the first thing. Uh, you're going to spend 45 to 60 minutes in your target heart zone, which and, and how you can tell that you're in your target heart zone, you don't need any expensive equipment or anything like that, is you can carry on a conversation with somebody, but you'd rather not. Right? So if it's as easy to chat as you and I right now, then you're not working hard enough. And if you're having um, trouble catching, you know, even completing a sentence, you've crossed over into anaerobic threshold, and you're not going to last very long doing that. So that's how you know. And ultimately, you want to do a couple of good strength training sessions a week where you work to muscle failure, aerobic activity, and then, you know, if you like, some stretching like yoga, that sort of thing. But five or six days a week, 45 to 60 minutes in your target heart set. And so I hear all the people listening to the show already going, but I don't have time. And Yeah, but you don't have time not to do it. When people get cancer, they find hours and hours and hours every week to find time to get treatment. So why don't you just find an hour a day to take care of yourself and not go there? You know, so um, that's what I think people need to do. So from your experience, what have you heard of seeing from people who uh, adopted this type of lifestyle? What have been the results? Well, the results are documented in the medical literature, first of all, and that's what's most important because while the stories are inspirational, the medical documentation is the reason we can recommend the things we do. But, you know, in the 20 years I've been doing this, or 18 years, um, routinely conditions like type 2 diabetes go away. Uh, we've seen people eat their way out of cancer. Uh, my practice specialty is Crohn's and colitis. We're getting ready to do a study on my protocol that reverses Crohn's and colitis in, in people. Uh, so it's just spectacular results. And, and that, that's from a medical standpoint. From just a quality of life standpoint, people lose weight. They feel good. They look good. They regain their self-confidence. Um, I had somebody tell me one time who had lost a couple hundred pounds, actually, um, with diet and exercise, and this guy said to me, he said, I got to tell you something, Tammy. He said, you wouldn't know because you never have my problem, but there are no happy, obese people out there. This is not a state that anybody wants to be in. He goes, I've finally gotten to a place where I'm happy about myself and I feel proud of myself and that sort of thing. So it's everything from resolving medical issues to um, just extraordinary improvement in quality of life. Um, and people start people start figuring out how energetic you're supposed to be and then how much you can do, you know. There's, that's what I love about it. I wasn't sick and I wasn't overweight. I was kind of fat, but not, you know, too much body fat, but not overweight. But what I love about this is just that I can bounce out of bed in the morning and go for 18 hours doing everything I want to do. And it's so much better than people my age who sit around a whole lot because they don't have the energy to do anything. And before we let you go, Dr. Popper, if you can be so kind to those of us who suffer from the MTV intention span syndrome, can you please share with us, based on everything that you've said, what you consider are the keys to getting and staying healthy? Could you sum it up for us? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is that you have to realize there is a right diet for humans, like there is for all species. 
Okay, so if you're, you're either going to eat that diet and maintain your health or you're going to suffer the consequences of it at some point in time. So you got to get this diet thing right. And then you've got to incorporate the right amount of movement into your body every day so that uh, an exercise so that not only are you going to have an easier time remaining lean but you're going to get to live independently till you die because you're going to have strength and coordination and balance and all that good stuff so you know it's, it's the diet it's exercise um, and then you know some other things that I, I do tell people to focus on is you got to take a look at how you're living your life and make changes sometimes. I, again, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't like to go too much into this and let other people take care of it instead. But, you know, your stress levels and your attitude toward life and are you doing something that makes you happy and, you know, people can be just as resistant to making other changes in their life as they are to um, changing their diet and starting to exercise. And, and interestingly enough, I'll throw this in, sometimes people go through the change with diet and exercise and they suddenly become empowered to make to tackle other issues in their life. It's like, well, gosh, I was able to do that. Maybe now I can tackle this job that I don't like anymore or this roommate that I shouldn't be living with or some friends that I shouldn't be hanging out with or something else that's going on in their life that needs changing. So, um, but it's, you know, this is actually really simple. People like to complicate it. Eat right, exercise, get some rest, drink water, live a happy life, live a, live a conscious and deliberate life. And, uh, and this is a pretty good ride we have on this planet. Enjoy it for the years that you're here. And, and what do you recommend? Just sounds so simple, doesn't it? It is. It really is. And, and the, the biggest part is, is not that it's so hard to do or whatever. It's really simple. It's just the resistance to just doing it. You know, stop having the discussion with yourself and just do it. Just do it. I agree. And, and once in a while, people will be hesitant and I tell them, listen, if you, if you do everything I tell you to do and you lose this weight and your diabetes goes away and then you decide you really like that extra 50 pounds and you like being diabetic, you can eat your way right back in. You always have that option. So why don't you just try it? See what you think about living life on the healthy side with me. And they will look at you like you were crazy. <laughs> no, sometimes they go, well, you know, that's not a bad that's not a bad idea. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so where's the best place for people to reach you at? Well, first of all, I'm happy to give out my personal email. It's pampopper at msn.com. I answer all emails within 48 hours myself. Um, our website is wellnessform.com. I have my own personal website, drpampopper.com. And uh, lots, we have, to, and anybody can sign up for my newsletter, my video clips, that's all free, we don't charge for that, so uh, we, we provide, and I provide a lot of free information, and then, you know, if you decide you want to take some of our classes, that would be great too, but Pam Popper at MSN.com, DrPamPopper.com, WellnessForum.com. Dr. Popper, thank you for being on the show, we really appreciate your time, and you've given us a lot of information to go off of. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. The time went real fast. Yes, it did. And this is going to do it for this edition. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you downloads again.